dead than all hope, listeners. You're listening to Radio Grognard, the OSR podcast about stuff, with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hiya, folks. Old Man Grognard here. Hope you're all doing well, as am I. We had... There was a good game Monday. We only played a couple hours, and it was like... It was one of those sessions where it's one long battle. And what's weird is I didn't realize that... I mean, we it started with us in the dungeon. There was a chasm, and there was a bridge across the chasm, and there were two orcs on the other side. That's how it started. I didn't know we had, we had left it off there. And it just seemed for the next two hours, we never got out of combat. And it was, it was, it was nice. I mean, I, I really enjoyed myself. I was surprised. Like near the end, I thought we dispatched everything. And we had a couple of orc prisoners we were trying to free and escort out and everything like that. And, you know, all of a sudden, what, that one guy still isn't dead? Somebody shoot him or something. And so we killed him, and then we hear from the back, orcs from our from our the, the captives they had, and there were like five more show up, and it's like, okay, time to quit. <laughs> we'll pick this up next week. But it was interesting. It was a rickety bridge. We had many dex saves that needed to be made, and many... At one point, the there was we had a we had a sorcerer and the dwarven fighter on the and the the bridge gave way a bit and the fighter fell and the it's interesting because the the magi- the magician the the sorcerer he whipped a, a diminution spell on him to shrink him so he wouldn't be so heavy so he could grab him and he finally grabbed him and finally got him to the other side it was it was a mess i was a monk and i had to make deck say a couple of deck saves to get over even with my high acrobatics anyway great game fun had by all gage was having a ball we were we were great anyway i want to talk more about astonishing swordsman today because the more i dive into this thing because i'm reviewing modules the more i'm just like loving it and the more it's just grabbing me more and more so we're going to talk about that after this this has turned into kind of a mini a little mini series on Astonishing Swordsman. I mean, I don't want to turn this into an Astonishing Swordsman podcast, but I do want to talk about it some. And today I want to talk about the combat section. And I've I brought up the PDF here, and I'm just going to sort of thumb through it type of thing and point a few things out. Uh, it first starts, talks about the adventuring party and hirelings, and it's got a nice chart and reaction table for hirelings, common hirelings, on the next page, mercenary chart, what their average rate of pay would be. You know, this is the kind of thing you'd see in any any D and D book. Specialists, hiring specialists, hiring henchmen, loyalty, morale, all that other good stuff. And so far it's pretty much standard one E stuff. You know, venture preparation, actions and procedures. 
non-standard actions where you have to basically, you know, give it a probability of success. And what I like is there's no target numbers on that. It's a D6. And it, this is for task resolution. It's D6 task resolution. And, you know, it goes from simple to very difficult, like a target number would, but it gives you a probability of success, like single, simple task we fought one to five out of six and it goes down from there which i can hang with i can hang with because uh, this this game does a lot of stuff with like d6s and d12s as far as like task resolution like like thieving skills or ranger skills or things like that which i really like uh they talk about movement encumbrance encumbrance they say is a big thing in this game but i don't really want to deal with it I'm the kind of guy who leaves it up to the players. I, you know, you guys are on your honor. If I start, you know, if I, I throw a lot of stuff at you and said, I'm taking all this, I'm going to call you on it if you take too much. But until then, I'm going to leave you up to your judgment to do it. It talks about dungeon wilderness movement, overland travel, things like that, transport. Now, the encounter talks about the encounter. Oh, boy. Dungeon and Wilderness Encounters, Evasion, Reaction, and then we get into combat. Now, they do... It is First of all, you know, it's Ascending Armor Class, of course. They do segmented combat. In other words, phased combat. In other words, each side rolls for initiative. And then you do the phased combat. Now, what I never understood is they have phase one and phase two of every side for every turn. And is it now, okay, I won, say my side won initiative. So we go first and they go first. Now, is it phase one, we go first, and then phase two, they go first, or they go? Is it phase one, we go, and phase two, they go, and then phase, you know, like that? Or is it... Our side does phase one and two, and then their side does phase one and two. Because I figured if it's that way, you know, like I just said, each of them takes both phases. That's incredibly boring on the GM side for the players. Because then I have to run them through because it's, what is it? Uh, Melee missile magic movement. And it gets kind of, kind of... Some people say it's great. I think I can understand why they're doing it this way, because they give you got they give you a chance of, you know, like okay, I want to delay my action to do this, or I want to hold until the second phase. Usually, magic works better done in the second phase, but you can do it in the first phase if you want. And so it's just it 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 gets a little to me it gets a little kind of wonky, and so. That's okay, but I'm I'm finding that I would just rather go back to the way I usually do it. I roll my initiative, each character rolls their initiative, and then we just go down the down the list. Say it's a D6 or a D, well, I think it's a D6 here because they're doing the face combat. I would change it to a D10 if it was individual like that, just because there's too many, you know, if if I have a if I have like four or five players and me, well, that's a D six right there. But I mean, if I have more than that, then I go. I usually go D six for a smaller group and a D ten for a larger group. So anyway, but 
what I'm saying is I would rather have them do their individual things because they can still do stuff like, well, I'm going to hold my action until this. And the, the thing in held actions in my game, and usually in other games I've known of, is that you if you hold your action until the end of the turn and you don't do anything, okay, boom, you lost it, and re-roll, everybody rolls initiative again. You do not carry it over to the next phase. And to me, that's just easier for me to do. That's the one thing I'd change here is the way you do the combat. But, and I, I got morale, com, combat actions. Oh, boy. That's the one I was looking for. And there was so much fun in this game with the combat actions, especially with the advanced combat stuff. I talked about the missile fire changing before. And uh, let's get into advanced combat here. You know, they got pommel strikes, ready shooters, the arrow setting. I talked about that before where they plant the arrows in the ground and that ups your that ups your rate of fire for a missile weapon for that, as long as you have the arrows in the ground. If you put like 18 arrows in the ground, you have 18 shots. You can do like, it goes from one to one to, to it goes like to three to two. It just goes up one, which is nice. So all of a sudden you have three shots over two rounds. So you can take one shot the first time and then two shots the second time. Fantastic. And the usual stuff like dodge and disarm and things like that. You could do a double arrow shot, a firing march. This and, and some of this stuff is only for fighters in the subclass of fighters because they are the ones experiencing things like a fighting march. You can actually you can actually take missile fire and move half at the same half your move at the same time. So, it's a missile shooter to fire, and then you just, it gives you a full allotment of missile attacks whilst moving, starting, you know, on your face, which is nice. I mean, the, usually you get reduced movement that way, but, and also I believe after the first shot, if you have more than one shot, you, it's only to me. It's only practical if you have a rate of fire, a higher rate of fire, as a fighter. But I think the second shot and the next shot, they're taking it like a minus two. The first shot, you're fine. And then you keep you keep going, and it's what else they got here? Indirect fire, offhand weapon, parry, ready shooter. You know, if you got a crossbow cocked, arrow or arrow knocked, or the wand arm, you can discharge it before any other actions are taken, regardless of initiative results. They also got a first strike in here. Where you pay attention to, they will have a weapon class for each weapon. The 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 easier weapon is to to maneuver the higher the weapon class so but they call it a first strike you can run up and and if you have i think it's if you have the same initiative you can run up and whoever has the higher weapon class hits first on the first strike so it's real easy to get you know get advantage on that anyway i just it just combat just seems a lot more crunchy and Oh, and the critical hits. I got to mention the critical hits. The critical hits, you do not, if you make a, if you roll a natural 20 as a critical hit, you do not automatically do double damage or whatever. You have a chart. You roll a, and it goes by fighter, cleric, thief, 
monster or magician, you roll a d6, and that tells you how much damage you do. You could do just one damage, you know, times one damage. And you can go all the way up to times three damage. And, you know, that it's, it's just incredible. And in my game, you know, I just automatically say, look, you roll a crit, 20, you're going to max on that die. Don't bother to roll it. You're maxing on that die. Roll the chart and see if you do any more damage. Then they go to saving throws, which everybody has the same saving throw. It's just modifiers for class. Things like that. Item saving throws, which I find kind of useless, and damage and healing and things like that. We'll go into the rest of this uh, later because this is getting a little long. So I'm going to go start my day. If you want to talk to me about this or anything else, oldmangrognargmail.com or drop a voicemail on Anchor. We are monetized, so as little as 99 cents a month, you can help support this program, and I would ha- I would thank you, like I'm going to thank these people. Thank you, Jonathan Dorje, Wendell Jessen, Oliver Shriek, Gilbert Soros, Juan Carlos Llewellyn, Daniel Reynolds, Dan Gregg, Benjamin Brodell, Jason, and John Allen Large. Thank you. Don't forget to listen also to the... Dan Gregg's Jung, Y-U-N-G, Jung Grognar podcast. We also have Mark C. Walring's The Yawning Albert podcast. Great podcast. Big John Allen Large's The Red Dice Diaries. The guy's good. And my friend Eric Tenkar's Tavern Chat podcast. So check him out. Okay. Until I see you folks next time, keep the dice warm and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Questions? Comments? Send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. We'll see you next time when Radio Grognard is on the air.